Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have my new friend, Mark. Mark, welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Dave, thanks so much for having me. I count it an honor to be here. I've seen your work, and I think it's a blessing to be able to meet you mouth to ear. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been really fun just to be able to to get to have a chat with you. Been very encouraged already by our by our conversation before the recording. So thank you, brother. Hey, mutual. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about your life, marriage, ministry, and some of the current ministry products that you're working on? Sure. I was uh, born and raised in a Roman Catholic family in Grand Rapids, Michigan, back uh, 1959. And I grew up with a, with a dad and a mom who loved me, and they were very committed to Roman Catholicism, so much so that my mom, when she was in high school, she wrote a composition that vowed she would name all of her children either Joseph or Mary, the two important saints in the Roman Catholic pantheon. And so my name is Mark Joseph Jansky. My brother's name is Gregory Joseph Jansky. My other brother is David Joseph Jansky. My other brother is Christopher Joseph Jansky. Then I got a little tail end sister who is Mary Jo Jansky. So mom kept her vow. I just say that to demonstrate how committed my parents were to Roman Catholicism. And I was raised in a family where there was uh, a lot of structure, a lot of order. I went to a Roman Catholic school where the nuns brought great academic demands on me, which really helped me as the years went on. But though I was, oh, an all-American boy of sorts in my heart, there was great sin. And it wasn't until I was uh, 17 years old that I went to a fellowship of Christian athletes camp at Central Michigan University in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, but I heard the gospel and it came home to me kind of like a Damascus Road experience and I still remember coming back from the last sermon of that conference from the Rose Arena trying to get to my dormitory and I and I couldn't stop crying because God had brought home the reality of my sin and the beauty of the Savior and the idea of having all my sins forgiven past, present, and future. That was glorious. So that was when I was 17 years old and then I uh, went off to Calvary college where I wanted to be a Christian counselor, but I realized at that time at Calvin College there was a lot of higher criticism taking place, undermining the authority of the words. So I went over to what is now Cornerstone University, uh, was Grand Rapids Baptist College at the time, and there I began to uh, embrace true understanding of exegeting the word and piecing together a true theology that was evangelical, but also there were Reformed Baptist guys there. I began to read Spurgeon sermons. I embraced the doctrines of grace, and then I uh, ended up uh, going off to Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. Before I went, I married my bride, Diane, the love of my life, stayed there at the Grand Rapids Theological Seminary and got my MDiv. And 
then went down to Dayton, Ohio, where I pastored for three and a half years at Kemp Road Baptist Church, now Arbor Church in Kettering, Ohio. And then I was called back to my home church, the Reformed Baptist Church of Grand Rapids, and called back here to do some church planting. We planted churches in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Louisville, Kentucky, Lethbridge, Alberta, Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. And then we said we'd maybe plant a church in Holland, Michigan. And, and I was one of the four pastors who was chosen to go. I actually wanted to come out to Holland. It's about 40 minutes away from Grand Rapids, up on the shore of Lake Michigan. And so that was in 1993. We uh, planted the church, and now I've been here about 26 years in Holland, Michigan as the pastor of this church. I have five children, my bride and I do, ages uh, 36 to 26, and the Lord has been so gracious to this hell-deserving sinner, Dave. That's basically a thumbnail sketch of my life. Mm, wonderful, brother. You're uh, you're very articulate. I, I can tell that we're going to have a really fun time here. I, I so uh, I appreciate you sharing about uh, about yourself and your and your life and man we don't we don't deserve any of any of the gifts or or the grace and the mercy of our lord so it's no, no. You, you asked about projects that i may be yeah working on now I, I would say uh finishing up the book that you wanted to talk about which is encouragement adrenaline for the soul that's been a focus for the last oh year or two that's really given a lot of my energy to uh but just recently, uh, I was asked about, oh, maybe a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, to begin considering the possibility of my taking on a responsibility with an organization called Reform Baptist Network. And this is a association of Reform Baptist churches who have come together in order to strengthen each other. Uh, not a denomination, but again, a fellowship, an association of churches. We're about 42 churches right now, about a three-year-old organization. And uh, there is a coordinator right now. His name is Gordon Taylor, an outstanding man who uh, used to be a pastor of uh, Sycamore Baptist Church, East Moline, Illinois. But he's been the coordinator of the network for a number of years now. And uh, we're looking to take a full-time man on as a coordinator. And, and I was asked by some of the pastors in this organization to consider this. And at first, I, I wasn't very interested. I kind of, hey, I, I, I feel like being a pastor in the kingdom is like being a quarterback in the kingdom. We pastors, I think, have, have a lot of influence for good in the kingdom. It's a, it's, a, it's a very honorable and dangerous position to be in, much like quarterbacking, Dave. <laughs> but I felt like in there asking me to be a, a coordinator or a director of Reform Baptist Network, they were asking me to be like a field goal kicker to be, to be moved away from that role. And I wasn't that interested, but but as we talked more and, and pondered more, I just thought, you know, maybe at this season of life, this might be after uh, my being here for 25, 26 years in Holland, maybe the Lord would have me consider this. So we're going to, uh, we just as a church made a decision after I got a unanimous call from the network, the church made a decision that they'd given me the green light to pursue for a couple of years, half time pastor, half-time coordinator, and then after two and a half, three years, I will have transitioned down to, God willing, full support with the network, and then I'll move on to focus on this endeavor of helping this growing, snowballing group of churches to 
uh, encourage each other domestically in the states and to be able to engage in church planting, uh, church revitalization, and uh, church strengthening. And then also, a great goal we have is to send out, we already have a number of missionaries that we support, and uh, expand the kingdom, taking the, the truths that we would say are Reformed and Baptistic. It's an organization that would be confessional. It's the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. That was Spurgeon's doctrinal statement. That's what we embrace. And really, we just desire to be biblical and to establish biblical ministries domestically and globally. And so we're hoping that God would use this Association of Churches for Great Good. So that's really the, the most recent project I've been focusing my attention on. Well, that's wonderful, brother. Uh, praise God. We'll uh, definitely be praying for that work. So uh, we appreciate, or I appreciate uh, your uh, your work for, in, in the kingdom. So Can you uh, tell us about your book, Encouragement, Adrenaline for the Soul? Why did you write this book and, and how is it being received? Well, I wrote the book, if I would consider back how this all began, I I visited China a number I I, I visited various places uh, overseas and I, I'm actually a professor at Reformed Baptist Seminary and I I teach I teach on hermeneutics I'll teach on uh, sexuality I've, I've written two books one is called Manly Dominion one is called Womanly Dominion so I was off in China and I was teaching a module to pastors there in the Far East and as I was there I, I, I had an interesting experience visiting a missionary couple and I saw this couple they're, they're hard-working, relentless, tireless people. They labor as, as church planters, and they train pastors, and they engage in translation. And while I was there, just for a poignant moment, the wife, who was obviously an American and had been now in China for about 20 years, there was a birthday party, uh, all these dear Asian people who were around her singing to her. And she's so far, and, and she told me how much she misses home, but but these people had become her family on the other side of the earth. And it just struck me how this woman had sacrificed everything. We left the teaching location and went back to the missionary's home, and there the children were around the table. And I just began to tell the children about how special their mom and dad are, because I'm sure they look at their mom and dad and just think they are run-of-the-mill, mundane, ma and pa, and there's nothing unique about their lives. But I began to express at the table what an important thing their mom and dad have done in, in leaving home and family and going to the other side of the earth and, and forsaking a lot and sacrificing a lot. And, and I was telling the children about what an instrumental thing this was in the kingdom. And as I looked, the wife and the husband, tears were just streaming down their cheeks because I was encouraging them by commending them to their children. And within earshot of my words, uh, their hearts were being filled and were being blessed. And when I finally was taken to the airport by this missionary, he said, uh, you have no idea what an impact those words had to me and my wife. We were suffocating with discouragement. But the 
those words were like life to us. And really, that's in a sense how I get the idea of encouragement of adrenaline for the soul. When somebody has an allergic reaction, say, to uh, peanuts, and they will have anaphylactic shock, and they actually uh, fall on the ground, they can't breathe, they stop breathing. If you give somebody adrenaline, it actually raises them from the dead. It, it, it brings them life. It opens up those passageways. The heart begins to beat again. It's, it's resurrecting. Well, that's the impact that it had on this man. It just really struck me how uh, encouragement is an important thing. So I came back and I preached a sermon on 1 Thessalonians 5.11 where it speaks of encourage one another. Build one another up just as you are also doing. And then I ended up going down to Florida that was asked to do a, uh, some preaching in Florida and, I, and I, I preached that sermon there. And that sermon became the capsule of this book, which is an expansion of the book uh, of that sermon and that text. I, I just as I was finishing up this book here, Dave, there was a guy who's now in his late twenties is a church planter, but he he wrote to me and he he wrote me this little note. It says this. He said uh, he didn't know I was writing this book, but he says he says I'm not exaggerating, Pastor Mark, when I say that that sermon set the trajectory for me for how I wanted to use my speech to uplift others. From that day forward, I've purposed to be that sort of a Christian. And that sermon has fueled my efforts over the years. In fact, I use that in my introduction. And, and, so, and so those kinds of things have caused me to say, you know what, I, I want to inspire other people to be Barnabas-like encouragers, to brighten eyes and give people reviving words so they can be built up and so they can be strengthened in the faith. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. Where did this desire to be encouraging, like when did that when did that like happen for you? Like when did you first feel drawn to the ministry of encouraging others? Well, I would say in my own life, I know that words of encouragement can be words of life to me. Just as an example, when I was pastoring in the church in Grand Rapids. I found myself, this is back now, boy, 20-some years ago, I find myself really uh, weary and discouraged. Sometimes they say, Dave, that pastors write resignation letters on Mondays because they feel they were so incompetent on Sundays. And I remember one Sunday, I, I was kind of emotionally down for the count on a Monday. But then I got this call from a woman in our church who said, Hey, Pastor Mark, I just want you to know that Mrs. So-and-so just called me and she said that the sermon that you preached yesterday had such an impact on her husband that he went home and he spent time in his bedroom and he had heart dealings with God and she said he came out and he was a changed man. And, and for me, you know, I'm like the boxer who's in one of the late rounds and he's been hit and he's down on the canvas and he feels like he can't get up. Just that word of encouragement was like smelling salts to me, Dave. And, and it got me up and it enabled me to get back in the ring and fight again. So that's just a, a, a way in my own life to say it's not just theoretical with me. It's very personal that encouragement has made a world of difference in my own life. And I, I've gone through I've gone through seasons of, of, of darkness and discouragement and Barnabas like 
words are very important to me. Yeah, you and me, uh, you and me both, brother. I, I've um, <laughs> gone through some many, many dark days, sadly, and I think we all have. But um, some, some are, some are never want to quantify or you know qualify that too much. But you know, some, some days are, are some, some people's dark days are legitimately very, very dark, and sure. and, and I've been, I've been that, those very, very dark places and sure. um you know god has um great graciously in those times he has brought um people that ha- he has used in my life in very powerful ways and it's no small thing for me to say this and and uh but but god in his providence has has used those people to, to literally change my life and yeah. i'm i'm so i'm so very thankful for that because i i honestly but um, between you, me, and our and our uh, <laughs> lots of listeners that listen to this, I I would not even be a Christian if it wasn't for this. Um, oh yeah, I, I yeah. would have I would have probably stopped being a Christian. You you never know, you know. God will keep us. He holds us fast, of course. But but He uses people, and and the encouragement that I have received. Um, one of these men is still very active in my life, and I'm I'm very thankful for that because you know his his guidance means a lot to me and encourage. It, it it's incalculable he he doesn't even know you know and I, I i tell him but um you know even even if you're unknown or or you you're known that that doesn't matter like you can be an encouragement to somebody oh yeah hebrews ten twenty five speaks of don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near and, and that needs to be the constant diet of the people of god i believe encouragement i realize i realize dave adherence it's it's 2020 and i know we live in a a generation that could be called the snowflake generation that that overdoses on affirmation and we live in such a pc culture and then people may say so come on mark why are you echoing this culture that says that we're always merely to encourage people and affirm people well understand uh the emphasis i'm bringing is not a worldly emphasis i'm seeking to bring home a biblical emphasis i even think of uh, david murray talks about how boy here we are we're supposed to be uh, reformed in our theology and doesn't biblical reformed theology say that God is to be uplifted and man is to be pushed down why, why in the world would we ever affirm each other uh, don't we believe in depravity don't we believe that we should be praising God and not people and if we praise and encourage people won't that make them proud I, I understand that I, and and I think there are some people who might look at a book like encouragement of adrenaline for the soul that may sound like something that would be uh, Joel Osteen or your best life now, but I, I really believe we're dealing with a scriptural emphasis here. Just even even think of a boy, a, 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 Mar, a Matthew three, where look at the first words of the heavenly Father to the Son. What a, what a fatherly tone! This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now those are words of encouragement, or even the Lord Jesus, Matthew twenty five, the parable of the talents. Well. John, good and faithful servant. Or or even think of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 8 to the centurion. He says, great is your faith. Or in Matthew 15 to the Syrophoenician woman, he says, oh woman, great is your faith. Who's saying this? This is the holy, holy, holy God incarnate. And he's bringing words of encouragement. 
or uh, even uh, say uh, Luke chapter 10 he says about Mary who's being criticized by everybody else for her anointing of Jesus and wasting the perfume Mary has chosen the good part or even Revelation 2 the ascended Lord Jesus he talks to the, the seven churches of Asia Minor and we see that to Every one of these churches, though they may deserve being scolded and chastised, in every one of these churches, he finds something good. Yeah, even, even to Laodicea, he finds something good in them. So I think we need to be like the Lord in, in being able to find the good and not think that somehow giving someone encouragement is merely imbibing the spirit of the age. I think it's imbibing of the spirit of the Bible. Amen. And and just to continue what you just said, Hebrews 3, uh, 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So yeah. encouragement is like... You know, you go, a boxer goes in the, into the boxing ring, right? And, and they're about to land that, that knockout blow. And we know what Satan wants to do, right? He wants to, he wants to hit, he wants to hit you, you know, so hard that, that you'll be knocked out. But what does encouragement do? It's that counter punch. You know, it, it counters Satan's lies and it helps us to, you know, have a better perspective, a, a more, as you talked about, a, a more biblical perspective about life. Yeah, and that's that, that's that uh, first S5 passage where it speaks about encourage one another in the text would be and build one another up because we do get knocked down. We do get beaten and we are down for the count and need to be strengthened again. Yeah, that's really good. You, you talk about uh, a Proverbs 15 evaluator in the book. What does that, what does that mean? Well, it has to do with the idea of looking at the way that encouragement is applied in various spheres of life. So you can apply it in your marital life, you can apply it in your your parental life, or you can apply it, say, in your ecclesiastical life, in church life. And, and by that, I'm just trying to say how in church life can we apply this idea of encouragement? And Proverbs 15 is just a very interesting text as we see there, I think, uh, a wonderful way of practically with wisdom literature communicating how, yeah, we give words of encouragement, but there may also be words of corrective criticism. And the two must be blended together because biblically speaking, we see that, well, obviously the, the, the proverb will say faithful, uh, profuse are the kisses of an enemy, but faithful are the blows of a friend. So in Proverbs 15, you have statements like this. Uh, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And the tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. Or uh, verse 4, a wholesome, which means a soothing or a gentle tongue, is a tree of life but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. We can be crushing. Think of the proverb. Uh, there is one who speaks of the thrust of the sword, constantly criticizing and cutting down, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So it, it's the combining of criticism, which can also be very beneficial, and encouragement together. And, and really, when I talked about proverbs, I, I spoke about an experience that I had when I went to a, well, actually it was Capitol Baptist Church in uh, Washington, D.C., and I got to be invited up 
to Mark Dever's study. And when I got up to that study, it was Sunday evening. There I entered in, and there were probably 25 to 30 guys there. And there were all the elders there, and there was staff there, and interns there, and some other visitors there. And I got to be kind of a fly on the wall and watch the way that they evaluated with a fine-tooth comb all the events of the Lord's Day that had just passed from, from the Sunday school classes to the opening in the worship, to the prayer in the worship, to the reading of the scriptures, the commentary, the preaching. And, and I saw that there was a lot of uh, criticism that came. And, uh, you know, a comment may be given, man, when you when you prayed, you kind of sounded a bit robotic, like a uh, Puritan. You used some words that maybe the people didn't understand, or even they, they even said, one of, the, one of the other elders said, Mark, I really think if you shorten your message, it would be more effective. So I thought, okay, boy, and that was really testimony to Mark Dever's humility to take that kind of criticism. And other things were said, but I noticed that along with the criticism, the the whole thing was lubricated with the oil of encouragement and affirmation. You know, they, say, they also said to Mark something like, hey, Mark, you could hear the, a pin drop when you talked about the externalism of the Pharisees. And uh, for the guy in his prayer, uh, you know, a comment may have been given alongside of that. But you really showed a lot of heart when you uh, prayed about the issue of uh, parents and children and how we should pour out our hearts for our children. And, and it was beautiful to me. I say Proverbs 15 evaluator that is able to blend together constructive criticism, but with wholesome and true and sincere encouragement. And there's always something good to find. Sometimes, Dave, we can have a, a hawkeye for what's wrong with what someone does, but we can have a, a bat's eye. That's a bad eye. Bats don't see very well, Dave. A bat's eye for the good. And I, that's me. I, I can have a default setting that can criticize. In many ways, this book is written for me and, and my issues and, and my own propensity to be critical. I think that's really good. What role does encouragement have in Christian friendship? Well, I think it's I think it's it, it's crucial because as friends, we can tend to be very egocentric and we can want to focus on ourselves and want to focus on our own image, and we want to affirm ourselves. But I really think the idea of, of doing unto others is crucial. It, it, it's important for us to be able to understand the effects of encouragement on ourselves as here. I confess that as a pastor, a word of encouragement was beneficial to me. It got me up off the mat and enabled me to get up to fight for another week in the ministry. Well, I think we should likewise see people who are around us uh, and say, do unto others as we would do unto ourselves. And so, you know, uh, James speaks of in James 2, to him who knows the right thing to do, but doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So if I am having coffee with a brother in downtown Holland, at Ferris Coffee in downtown Holland, for me to be able to, <laughs> there, there's, there's a statement that's made by a guy named uh, the, the gentleman who founded Chick-fil-A, Kathy is his last name. He said, how, how do you know someone needs encouragement? Answer, he's breathing. Because we, we all know we can be we can be downcast, we can be discouraged, you know. Uh, the psalm writer says in Psalm 42, why so downcast, O my soul? Why 
I so disturbed within me? So for us to really assume when we relate to people that they're in need of encouragement. And so if, if we can look at somebody's life and say, uh, for example, uh, you know what? I can say to a guy, I'm meeting with him on Tuesday. Hey, I at church after the AM sermon, I was sitting and talking with your son and he came to me and he asked me about Hey, what was that systematic theology you quoted on Sunday? And he was referring to, let's say, maybe it was Wayne Grudem, systematic theology I quoted from. So here's this, this kid, he's 14 years old, and he, he wants to talk systematic theology with me. He has a he has a hunger and a thirst after the things of God. Now, for me, when I'm meeting with his dad, who's downcast on Tuesday, to be able to say that to him. Hey, you know, I spent time with your son after the morning, and, and you should really be encouraged by the way that he has a heart for God. Now, this may make this man's day. This may totally change his emotional weather by my saying that. A, a, a breaking through of a beam of sunshine into his life that, that changes his disposition. And that's the way it is when people talk about my kids when I'm concerned about where they're going and where their heads or hearts are at. So, yeah, just by that, I think it's it's really important as, as friends to be able to do this. So it's going to be, let's even say, social media to be able to... Uh, Oh, let's say that uh, somebody has uh, written a, a blog that was really helpful. How about how about reposting that blog and then putting on social media? Uh, Pastor so and so wrote this blog or wrote this book and uh, read it and and consider it and maybe just give a brief summary about it. Or uh, boy, in the in the marketplace, you you got a barber. I I've got a barber in Zealand, Michigan here, and when he does a good job, some Sometimes I'll pull up the car in front of his shop and jump in the office and say, Hey, Frank, you nailed it. You gave me the great, a great haircut. My wife can't keep her hands off me this week. And tell him how thankful uh, you are for the craftsmanship of his haircut. And, and I'm sincere. This guy's really good. Well, tell him about it. Or on the athletic field, I used to coach teams. In fact, my kids, I coached so many of my kids' teams. I'm sure they were uh, so tired of me. But I just learned how uh, when it comes to boys, you coach a boys' soccer soccer team, you can maybe give uh, one, you blew it, son, and then follow up that with four attaboys. Well done, well done, well done, because that's probably the pretty good ratio. But with girls, I find, boy, girls can get more discouraged easily than boys, so you give them uh, one reproof, you blew it, Jennifer, but then maybe eight times you say, way to go, Jennifer, and it just makes all the difference in the world regarding what is the tone of the relationship. Again, I talked about Matthew 3, the tone of the father to the Lord Jesus. Well done, he says. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased to give that well pleased kind of a, of a look and, and, and words towards those we are relating to. It's God-like. It's bearing his image. It's 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 holy living, I think. Mm, wonderfully well said, brother. Where, where can people go to find out more about your work online, either on social media or otherwise? Well, I'm on Twitter, and I do put tweets out every now and then, and I, I on Facebook, I'm there. I also have a webpage called markchansky.com, which frankly I haven't added to in the last 
a few months mainly because I've been focusing in on the book Encouragement Adrenaline for the Soul. But those are the places where you can find me. Also, Sermon Audio, I think I have maybe twelve to 1,300 sermons on Sermon Audio. You'd find me there, Mark Chansky, and that's the ministry of Harbor Church in Holland, Michigan. So I think those are the places you'd uh, find me. Oh, wonderful. Well, brother, there's a lot that we could uh, really dive into and, and dissect on this topic for sure. And um, just as we wrap up this conversation, do you want to give us a few takeaways? Yeah, I would say I, I think it's I think it's really important to see that the ultimate encouragement is is the gospel. That there there is a reason for us to be deeply depressed, even eternally depressed, and that is the thought of our heading toward a horrible eternity in hell. And and that isn't some kind of a of a false apprehension of our condition, but that's an accurate apprehension that we are in big trouble, that we are hell-deserving sinners. And the gospel is the great hope. This is a saying that is worthy of great acceptance, says the apostle in 1 Timothy 1, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. And so, boy, that is the the ultimate eye-brightening tonic. That is the the adrenaline-giving, heart-reviving resurrection from the dead, that we have a great Savior. There was a, uh, I think it was Joel Bickey I first heard this account from. He talked about two men who were at the Louvre in Paris looking at a painting called Checkmate. It's a painting of, a painting by a man named uh, Morris Ritz. And in the painting, there is uh, a chessboard with pieces. On one side of the chessboard is a sad-looking young man who has a terrified face. On the other side is the devil who has a pouncing face. And it says in the title, Checkmate. And it's clear, it's depicting how a young man has sold his soul to Satan. And Satan knows that he has this soul for eternity. And again, it's Checkmate. The guy's lost. Well, one of the men that were looking at the painting at the Louvre walked away, but the other stood and stared for about a half an hour. This guy just happened to be some kind of a capable chess master. After about a half an hour, he shouted out from down the hallway, it's not checkmate! There's a move! There is a move! And so, uh, turns out he, he looked at the configuration of the chess pieces and he found there was a move where he could get away. And, 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 and that's the gospel, isn't it, Dave? That no matter how bad we are, if we be the chief of sinners... If we have been on the, on, 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 the, on the paid staff of hell, even so, we can look to the Lord Jesus and we can be saved. And, 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 and that's the gospel. And that's how the gospel is the ultimate encouragement. There was a guy in our church who was dying in West Michigan here. He was a farmer and it was wintertime and he had cancer and he was going from a robust, strong man to the point of being skeletal on a hospital bed, looking out his living room window. And our whole church, we would go and have vigils because we didn't know when he was going to die. And I would talk to him and say, Dave, uh, our, our, not Dave, it was Glenn, 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 are, are you are you okay? And he said, you know, I, I my, my sin still comes and haunts me and it makes me 
feel like the enemy is still going to uh, accuse me when I stand before God and only have a few breaths left in his life. And there's that passage in Zechariah 3 where it speaks of Joshua, the high priest, standing there and the devil accusing him. And he said, that's going to be me because uh, Revelation speaks of Satan being thrown down and he accuses the brethren day and night. This guy is dying. He doesn't have peace. But we're just able to meditate on how that Zechariah 3 passage says that, that the Lord comes and says, the Lord rebuke you. Is this not a burning stick snatched from the fire and the Lord puts on him these beautiful festal robes? And we're just able to meditate on how in Christ we have these beautiful festal robes, our filthy rags were worn by Christ on the cross, that he was the one who had all the cannons of justice that fired on him in the cross until it was finished, and there was silence, and there was no more justice. What does that hymn say? Justice smiles and asks no more. It's finished. The wrath of God is satisfied. And therefore, for Glenn, as he would stand before God wearing the robes of Christ's righteousness, uh, Glenn could be able to say, there's no more wrath for me, that I have peace with God. And so for Glenn, that's what enabled him to sleep. He had this little uh, scrap of paper that was uh, the quotation from Romans 10, that if we believe in our heart that God raised Christ from the dead and speak with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. And he was just trusting in that promise of Christ being the Lamb of God who for him took away the sins of the world. And, and that was like life to this man's dying soul. And and for, for, for all of us then, just to consider how, how this is the ultimate encouragement. No matter how bad we are, no matter how sinful we are, even if we're the chief of sinners, in Christ we have the gospel. And uh, I, I think of a quote. I'll just end with this quote that, that Tim Keller brings as he speaks about how if it's true that in Christ we have acceptance, that we who are total failures in life, but in Christ's performance, he is our sacrificial atonement, that his righteousness is, is credited to our account, then God looks at us and sees the beauty of Christ. He looks at us and basically says, this is my beloved son. <laughs> with whom I'm well pleased. Think of the little baby. Dave comes out of the bathtub and is just adorable. You know, the, the hair is wet and you, you wrap the baby up in this beefy towel and the child's adorable. You just want to hug the child. Well, wrapped in Christ's righteousness, we are adorable to our Heavenly Father. And he looks at us and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then Keller, Keller says this. He says this, all your life you've been knocking on a door. Affirm me. Love me. Tell me I'm okay. You've been working all your relationships so that somehow you can steal self-acceptance from other people, but it never works. But in the gospel, the door at which you've been knocking will open at last. And now, finally, the only pair of eyes in the universe whose opinion counts looks at you and sees an absolute beauty. And finally, the door on which you've been knocking all your life has been open at last. And now, the natural world ceases to have any claim on you. Who cares what they think? Now the criticism doesn't kill you because the God of heaven has accepted you. Ha! Dave, 
that's the ultimate encouragement, isn't it? That in Christ we're accepted in the beloved. Amen, brother. Amen. Well, as just as we wrap up this, I want to encourage you um, and uh, to, to show our listeners what practically encouragement looks like. I, I, I want to say this to you. You know, I, I can tell that um, not only have you consider this subject in in great detail you know from from the bible but but i can tell also and and this is i know uh as a bible teacher when when somebody says what i'm about to say i i know what it means so and how that feels and so i just want to say i can tell that not only do you know the subject but you also live the subject and that's a that's a powerful combination it's a biblical combination and i just want to say thank you for that and and i give thanks to god Call it a privilege to have been able to meet you. Every blessing to you and yours. Thank you, brother. Godspeed. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.